0: My friends, hi. Oh my God, I'm so excited to finally say hi to you guys after two long weeks. Welcome back to Tell Me About It. We took a two-week hiatus after season one, and now we're back with season two, and there is truly no better way to start off season two than with Hollywood's favorite divorce attorney and professional badass, Laura Wasser. So not a lot has happened in the past two weeks in my life. I mean, I got the vaccine, which was exhilarating. But beyond that, I was actually just telling my incredible producer, Catherine, this story. And I thought I'd let you guys in on this cautionary tale as well. So there's this woman. You probably have seen her. Like, she's been on the news. There's been a million articles written about her. Poor thing got... Botox in her forehead and when she went home after she got Botox I think she noticed that one of her eyebrows was like lower than the other so she went back to this doctor or Medi Spa or wherever she went and they put more Botox to lift her other eyebrow now what that did was either like it migrated or she just put too much and it like actually affected the muscle that you need to open your eye so one of her eyes is just completely shut And the other eye is like overcompensating for this eye, so it's like crazy wide, but it really just reminded me of something that I went through about like two years ago. So I got Botox in my masseter muscle, which is like your jaw, like the corners of your jaw. Because it's supposed to help with, like, TMJ, and, and it also has, like, an aesthetic purpose. so it, like, makes your jaw look a little thinner. Anyway, I'd gotten it a million times before this, and I've gotten it, unfortunately, I mean, whether that makes me smart or not, a million times after this happened to me. I went to a new doctor. I got it in my jaw. Everything was fine. I left. I got a facial the next morning, right? And I didn't, like, I mean, I've been getting Botox forever. Like, I should know that you shouldn't get a facial right after Botox. But so I went there and I had this appointment and I didn't want to cancel it cause like she has a 48 hour cancellation policy and I would have had to pay for the facial. Anyway, so I get there and I'm like, okay, I, I had Botox like in my jaw yesterday. Like, and she's like, oh, that's totally fine. Like I've been wanting to try this new machine on you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, machine does not sound good for like just having had Botox. Anyway, it's like a microcurrent machine. I go through the whole thing. The whole time as she's sliding it up and down my jaw, like I know something ain't right. I come home from dinner that night, and my face is fully frozen. Like my mouth, I could not smile. I will include several pictures on my Instagram, but it was like the most insane thing ever. I couldn't smile no matter what I did, and this is something to know if you don't get Botox or filler. You can dissolve filler, you cannot dissolve Botox. So if Botox goes wrong, you're kind of stuck with it. So there was nothing I could do. I was stuck. And I went on family vacation with my boyfriend's family, like, shortly thereafter. And in every family picture, they were like, Jade, smile. No, okay, no, Jade, really smile. Okay, Jade, like, what's this new sexy face you have? And I was, like, mortified because, like, I didn't want to tell them I got Botox in my jaw. But I, like, could not smile. So I was stuck like that for a year. Like, straight up. It got a little better, like, every three months. But it was so bad. I like went to a neurologist, had them like look at me to see if I had Bell's palsy. It was really serious. And obviously I knew I had Botox, but it was so jarring the way I looked that like, I just went into hiding for a year. Like I just couldn't, and it was, it was intense anyway. So watching this woman's story, I was like, I have to tell you guys about my story and my situation dealing with this because it fucking sucks. And there are things to learn from this, which are A, you get what you pay for, so go to a good doctor or place. B, don't get a facial after Botox. And C, you cannot dissolve Botox. So you want to make sure they do it right. So after this, go to my profile, and I'll send you, like if you DM me, I'll send you the really good ones, but I'll put some good ones on my story so you can see. (laughs) And I'll send you also this girl's profile so you can see what happened with her eye. Poor thing, like really is going through it. Anyway, that's my little story of the week. Today we have Laura Wasser on the show. There aren't enough good things I can say about Laura, and I am like really, really dying for you guys to hear this episode. I've had to wait two long weeks, and I can't wait any longer, because I feel like I got a full hour-long intensive lesson from the Queen of Divorce herself We talked about marriage, divorce, prenups, custody, premarital planning, and much, much, much more. So if you're single, if you're married, if you're thinking about getting married, if you're thinking about getting divorced, you will definitely benefit from listening to this episode no matter what stage of life you're in. We talked about the things that Laura suggests doing before you get married and what we definitely need to know about our partner before we even think about walking down the aisle. She listed do's and don'ts, the laws we should know about both marriage and divorce, and let us in on the most shocking things she's encountered throughout her career. So as you know, I asked you guys to send me your questions for Laura, and thank you guys for doing that, by the way. So many of you had questions about prenups and postnups. Poor Thing was probably exhausted after our interview because I asked her all these rapid-fire questions for like an hour straight just to make sure we answered all of the questions you and other listeners submitted. You'll hear us talk about it in the episode, but Laura has been in my life since my parents got divorced when I was 16, and she actually represented my dad in my parents' divorce. She is the woman you want in your corner if you're getting divorced. Just ask Kim Kardashian, Angelina Jolie, Johnny Depp, Stevie Wonder, etc., etc., etc. So now let me give you the lowdown on Miss Laura Wasser. Laura Wasser is a family law attorney at her firm Wasser, Cooperman and Mandels, and the founder and chief executive officer of the online divorce platform It's Over Easy. But you might know her as the inspiration for Laura Dern's character in last year's Oscar-winning movie A Marriage Story. You know that really depressing movie with Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver where they're getting divorced? Yeah, so that attorney is supposed to be Laura Wasser. And it actually was filmed in her office, which is a fun fact. It's Over Easy not only has the greatest divorce-related business name of all time, it's an accessible and affordable resource to dissolve a marriage. Laura is also a New York Times bestselling author of It Doesn't Have to Be That Way. How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family and Bankrupting Yourself. She also gives great advice on her podcast, Divorce Sucks, and All is Fair. Hi, Laura. Hi, Jane. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Fun fact, Laura actually represented my dad in my parents' divorce. So that makes us like family.
1: Yes. And I love your mom. I knew <laughs> yes. your mom from before from like the Shelly Azov days. Yes, yes, and yes. I think her book. Girlfriend's Guide to Pregnancy actually got me through my first pregnancy. I no way. all the other books were so dry and I read hers and I laughed until I cried. She oh, it was I so funny. That. And so when we were going through what was a very, very amicable separation with your parents, I just I loved her and I was always not that your dad wasn't making sure too, but I was always making sure she was okay. Oh, she was so awesome sweet. parents.
0: I love that. I love that. So yeah, you probably know me better than I even know. You know, yes. you know more about my life than I even know. So can you just, like, I have so many questions for you. Like, we asked our listeners. We just got so many responses when I told them that you were going to be on. And I have so many questions. Like, you're going to be horrified how little I know about all this No, world. I'm not.
1: I'm not going to be horrified. And I love that you want to know because I feel like so many people get into long-term relationships or marriages or Definitely. even divorces, and they have no fucking clue even what the law is in the state of California or wherever they live. So I... I'm really glad you're asking. I really want people to talk
0: about it. Okay, so can you run us through your background, kind of? Like, I didn't realize you grew up in LA. Yeah, I went to Beverly High. Oh, my God. (laughs) Did you ever leave? I
1: left when I was a junior in high school. I went to boarding school for one year in Switzerland, and then I got the travel bug. So then after I graduated from high school, I lived in Australia for a year, and then I came back here... I started college at NYU, I did two years at NYU, then I graduated from um, Cal with a a degree in rhetoric, and I'm actually speaking at their commencement, Cal asked me to speak at the um, 2021 commencement address, which was like so, I was so like, oh my God, I've arrived. That's huge. Yeah, Yeah. that was cool. And then I spent a year actually in Spain, I that's when I got married to, uh, well, I met him, and then we got married my second year in law school, and then we split up after my third year in law school, so I was pretty Short marriage, and um, I decided to practice family law really because I had to make some money after my husband and I split up. I had like a lot of debt and a dog, and I wanted to start making money because I had been working for like a nonprofit before for like disability rights. Yeah, and although I know how important that is, I really needed the cash. So I asked my dad if I could come work for him just while I waited for the results to the bar exam. And
0: he's an attorney.
1: And he's an attorney. He's a divorce attorney too. I'd never thought that that's what I would be doing, like working for daddy and the same boring thing that he did for all those years that I was growing (laughs) up. Thank God you did. And I did. And like, I never left because I loved it. Not only is the money good, but it's so fascinating to problem solve and learn about people's lives and human nature and the heartbreak that they go through and their next chapters and i just love it so i've continued to do it for all this time and i've also as you know kind of branched out to some other things to yes, educate a lot people yeah other
0: things yeah yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing it all so yes. let's start at the beginning what would your advice be to 220 somethings looking to get married that know nothing about like they're still you know like in the romantic honeymoon phase maybe, and they want to get married, like what would be your dream checklist?
1: my dream checklist would be, first of all, to tell them like, this is the best time. Like when it's still super sexy and romantic, Mm -hmm. that doesn't kill it. You know, I mean, you can get through anything during that time. So this is the time to start having some of those conversations. It depends. It depends what your financial situation is. Most people that are in their early twenties don't have a lot of money. They're in professional school. They're just starting their careers. And so if they're going to get married and they're just going to kind of combine whatever their assets are as they go on, and that's, what they're fine with, fine. As you know, here in Southern California, we have a lot of people in their early 20s that are already like bajillionaires because of the entertainment industry. Those people may need to give a little bit more thought. I think the first thing I would say on the checklist is learn the law. In California, from the moment you get married, anything that you earn or create, you write a screenplay, you paint a painting, start a company is going to be community property. So if you don't want that to be community property and your efforts in doing those things, like continuing to write more screenplays or songs or whatever, then you need to carve that out. Also, if you're married for a certain period of time, the person who makes more money is going to have to pay support to the person who doesn't make as much money. If you're not down with that because you make a ton of money and you don't really want to have to supplement the other persons, again, another carve out that you could do in a prenuptial agreement saying... She makes her own money. She's cool with that. I make my own money. I'm cool with that. We don't need to have a support ag- arrangement. You can't put anything in prenups that has to do with kids. So if you're going to have kids, married or not. We're
0: going to get into a whole prenups section okay. because and okay. we need to dissect that topic deeply. But
1: going back then, I, the other thing that I would say is I think that some – it doesn't necessarily need to be counseling, but some kind of therapeutic exercise – should happen relatively early on. Because again, during the yummy, sexy, romantic early days Mm -hmm. is when you are best able to kind of learn those skills and hone those tools. Later, when things may not be as great, it might be harder to have some of those conversations if you haven't already gotten those tools. So I say do it early. If If this is someone you're serious about, do it early.
0: Yeah, so have those conversations, like the conversation about therapy, the conversation about a potential prenup, knowing the laws, just starting those conversations early. Yes. Um, So what are things that we should think about or know about our partner prior to getting married? I mean, I think
1: prior to even moving in with somebody, you should know,
0: I think you should know. First of all, I think if you're going
1: to kind of cast your lot with somebody, sign a lease with them, buy a home with them, marry Mm -hmm. them, you should know a little bit about their financial background. Do they have a lot of student loans? Do they have credit card debt? Are they a drug dealer? These things would be good to know <laughs> before you start to live with someone or, yes. or, or, or seriously date them. So that's important too. And also kind of what are their values? You know, I always used to say when I would have like drinks with my girlfriends, I, I don't want a cheap guy. Like if I'm with a dinner with a guy and he doesn't leave a nice tip,
0: mm-hmm. even
1: if, you know, it's, it's not about splitting the bill with me, but I don't like cheap. So things I don't that, you, that you know that are important to you, You need to know that right away. And then I think also, and this will be a good one for you too, family. I want to know what he thinks about family, how he feels about his family, what his family dynamic is and background Mm -hmm. is because, you know, as we get older, our parents come to depend on us a little bit more. Family becomes more important because those roles change. So you might want to have that conversation where you're like, hey... My parents are getting older. I don't want to put them in a home. They probably right. are going to have to come live with us. Are you down with that? Those are the kind of things that I would be asking in those early kind of moments of a relationship if I thought it was going to be serious.
0: Right. So your father is a divorce attorney. Uh-huh. So did he? when you were getting married, did you do this whole checklist? Like, did you go to counseling? Like, No. <laughs>
1: We weren't in any kind of counseling before we got married. Remember, this was in the early 90s. It wasn't right. as prevalent as it is now where everybody goes to counseling. Um, and my parents were super cool with me growing up, as I know yours were, where they were like, do your thing. Like, yes. I mean, can you imagine in the middle of high school, I go to Switzerland or in the middle yes. of college, I go to Sydney, Australia. They were like, I don't know. She gets good grades. Are you seems like that with your kids now?
0: Like, I hope I can hold on to that.
1: Yeah, I am like that with my kids. Yeah. And again, now that I have a teenage son, I have one 15, almost 16 year old and one 11 year old. And oh I, I do try to be like that. But again, as a parent, it's hard because all you're thinking about all day and all night, it's always there is, is something going to happen gonna to my kid? Yes, yeah,
0: Yes. Constantly.
1: I'm amazed always that me and my friends made it through our, our teens. I oh mean my being at Beverly Hills High School in the 80s, are you kidding me? Yeah.
0: Even just like living in Malibu, like my dad and my step siblings are 16 driving on PCH. Is there anything else you would suggest doing before you get married to have like a better chance at success? Is that the kind of where the counseling comes in so you can kind of know how to deal with harder issues? I, I think so. Also,
1: obviously kids. Like, as you know, I got married that one time, you know, when I was 25 and then got divorced when I was 26. So we didn't have kids, but I have kids with two other guys. And I think Even though I wasn't really interested in getting married to them, I knew that they were going to be in my life for the rest of my life because we were having kids. I think it's really important, maybe even more important than figuring out if this is somebody that's going to be a life partner, figuring out if this is somebody that you could raise children with. You might Mm want to know what their values are. How do they feel about... Education, religion, you know, my ex husband and I actually never had a conversation about any of that. He was Roman Catholic, (laughs) I was Jewish. Like, we never talked about that because we were so young. We never talked about kids, which ended up not being an issue. But both of the men with whom I have children, I knew no matter what that I was going to be able to co-parent with them forever. And that to me was everything.
0: That's excellent. Yeah. So after your first marriage, like, because you haven't been married since, were you like, no. like, are you a marriage cynic? Do you feel no. like, because you've seen so much, like you're no. like, I'm not touching that. No, I like- love,
1: I love a good wedding. Ask your dad. I could, yeah. No one was more excited <laughs> to be at that wedding than I was. No, I just, for me, it didn't make sense. I was 25 when I got married. Yeah. The pictures were beautiful. I mean, I just, there wasn't. Yeah, you a- probably
0: looked like a knockout. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I did, but I never thought of another reason that was super important. I just that level of commitment, I didn't need a piece of paper for. So, I don't have anything against it, but for me it was just not necessary.
0: Okay. So, what what are some red flags you shouldn't ignore before getting married?
1: Um refusal to communicate. Communication's mm-hmm. everything in a relationship. And if you have a partner who when there's a tough issue or a fight or or even just, you know, sharing of information. If he or she shuts down, that's not good at okay. all. You need okay. to be able to communicate. And like I said, if it's hard, if you guys don't have the same communication styles, you have to figure out a way to make it work. This is going to be the person that's most important that you communicate well with. You have right. to get on the same page about that.
0: And that can happen like through couples counseling or premarital yeah. counseling or whatever. Yeah. Or just continuing to try. I think that's the only thing maybe on this planet i mean so please god don't strike me when i say this but i'm catholic so hopefully i i'm good premarital counseling is one of those things that the catholic church actually got right like it's essential yes it's so helpful and you really should like solve a lot of those problems before or realize that you shouldn't get married in those sessions
1: or realize that you have to kind of adjust your thinking on certain things
0: yeah So what do you wish that you'd known before you got married? Oh
1: gosh! I mean, I actually think as I walk down the aisle, my parents remind me that I would be like, "How crazy is this?" Like, I don't even know that I thought that I was going to stay married forever. I mean, I would have—I yeah. probably would have waited. I don't know that I re- really wanted to get married. He did. He was from a much more traditional family, and it was important to him. And I was kind of like 25, going like, "We're going to have a fucking amazing party!" Right. And so, like, <laughs> it was at the Beller Hotel. It was beautiful. Oh yeah. I mean, it was a ton of fun. We had 10 bridesmaids, 10 groomsmen. Everybody was gorgeous. Euro. I mean it was great. So I, I probably didn't put enough thought into it. I probably, even if you had asked me back then, like, is this who you're going to be with for the rest of your life? I probably sure. would have been like, uh, no comment. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, 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 that wasn't exactly my thinking, but it was a great party. And we did. We had a great time when we were
0: together. Oh, that's lovely. I feel like everyone deserves a first marriage like <laughs> yes. that. You know what I mean? Just get <laughs> it out of your marriage. system. Yes. Exactly. So I polled our listeners and asked them what they wanted me to ask you today. And I was shocked, like so shocked that so many of them came back saying they wanted me to ask you about prenups and postnups. It's like everyone wants to know about them. So I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. Okay. So a prenup, contrary to public
1: opinion, is not a contract for your divorce and how it's going to go. What a prenup is, is an opportunity for a couple to, A, first and foremost, learn what the law is in their state when they get married and then decide if that law works for them. So like what I was saying about community property in the state of California, if you're like, yeah, I've been kind of being an artist for 15 years and I don't know that I want to share my art with my partner that I'm now getting married to because it's kind of my thing, you carve that out. Same with support stuff. So those are the two real big ticket items that we have. So having the conversations where you say, this is what I'm not good with and this is what I'd like to carve out of it. The other thing is a prenuptial agreement kind of confirms what each party has going into the marriage. Okay. So I came into the marriage, I've got a futon, three yeah. class <laughs> posters, my, my engagement ring, and like yes. some jewelry or whatever. But Saying all that stuff so that there's never any question because if you're married a long time, somebody could be like, well, I thought we bought that futon after we got married. You're like, no, no, no. Do, do people even have futons anymore? Am yeah. I still like dating <laughs> myself? Anyway, I've been, I haven't <laughs> seen a futon in a long time. <laughs> So if you don't have a lot, it's easy. But if you have people that are getting married two or three times, or like we said, you know, very accomplished younger people, there's a big like exhibit that you attach to that agreement that shows everything the person has. So there's no question that that's their separate property because what you bring into a marriage is separate. So that stays separate. Also anything that you inherit from families or, or gifted by somebody else to you, that's your separate property. So for example, my dad, because he was a divorce attorney, whenever he goes to somebody's wedding, like one of his friend's kids, he writes the check just to the kid of the friend. I'm like, it's a wedding present, dude. <laughs> that is
0: amazing. That is amazing. They can do what they want
1: with it, but I only know her. I'm just writing it to her. I love that. (laughs) I love your dad
0: for that. That's brilliant. I hope you continue that tradition. I'm not continuing that. (laughs) Way to like divide a couple. So anyway, so
1: you learn what the law is, you decide what parts of it work for you, and then you put it in a thing. Now, a lot of people say, well, what, you know, I'm going to put something in my prenuptial agreement that says, if he cheats on me, I get this. You can't do that. You hear about those things, you can't and maybe do like
0: conditions. I
1: mean, you can. Okay. But, but if somebody says, "Well, I'm not going to abide by that," it's not enforceable. So our firm won't write a prenup that's not enforceable because what's the point? Right. Um, the other thing that you really need to know is pretty much all fifty states insist that both parties have attorneys. So okay. whereas you can get divorced without having a lawyer, like on my online service, it's over easy. Um, You can't have a prenup without a lawyer. You must have a lawyer to sign off on it for it to be valid. You also must have full disclosure. So that's another thing. If you're getting married and you're not super thrilled about the idea of telling your fiancé everything you have Mm -hmm. or everything you owe, like you've got a big credit card debt, that's not going to work. You're going to have to disclose all of that stuff as part of the agreement. Okay. And so that's a big ticket item too.
0: Okay. That's a perfect place for us to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Is it the kind of thing where, like, let's say the person that wants a prenup has the money in the relationship, and is it common for the other person to pay for the other person's lawyer? Yes. Yes. And that's
1: fine. So let's say you've got some older rich dude and he wants to protect his money because he's already gotten married like six times and he doesn't want to have to divide it in half again. So he gets a prenup and he says, I'm also going to pay for your attorney, honey. And that's fine. That's totally fine to do. That's not like weird or, oh, he's, you know, she has to be able to find her own lawyer that she likes and it doesn't matter how much it costs, but that's, that's kosher that he pays for it.
0: Okay. So if I say, I'm writing this screenplay and I don't want my future husband to have any ownership of it, does it cut both ways or do you need to explicitly say, do my rules apply to you and your rules apply to me? Or It
1: depends. I mean, sometimes people say, I'm totally fine sharing everything I make with you, but you don't have to share what you make with me.
0: Wow, how I generous. I don't know why anybody yeah. would do that.
1: but <laughs> but, but again, you, usually it's yeah. just a general waiver. Like there will be no community property. What okay. I make stays mine. What you make stays yours, et cetera.
0: Okay. So I've heard you say that you are not supposed to sign your prenup the night before your wedding day. Tell me a little bit about your reasoning there.
1: There are are certain time parameters. So we now in California have a statute that was passed, I think, in the early 2000s, 2000, 2001. There needs to be seven days, not from the time you sign it, but from the time that you first get the final, you know, usually there's some back and forth, but the final document you should have for seven days before you sign it. Because people, if you're signing something the night before you walk down the aisle, that can really be like, oh, there was a lot of duress. Everybody was here. They flew in from out of town. My dress was fitted. We paid the caterer. So you try to do it a little bit in advance. And
0: you can use that as like a reason why you weren't aware of that you didn't sign it knowingly or consciously. Yes.
1: So if somebody calls us and says, I'm getting married next week, I need a prenup. I say, you should probably call somebody else or you should do a post-nup, get married and we'll do it afterwards or postpone the wedding, depending on what the circumstances are.
0: Okay. I'm so curious about post-nups also, but does everyone need a prenup? Like, or is it just like if you have assets or if you have like, who should get a prenup?
1: Well, here's a better way of answering it. Who shouldn't get a prenup? You don't need a prenup if you're okay with the laws in California, which Mm -hmm. are that there was probably going to be some support if one party makes more than the other and that everything that you make and earn during your marriage is going to be community property. If you don't mind that, like I said, two young people starting out, neither one having very much. Sometimes there's situations where you have one party who's older, worked a long time, has a ton of money- but now isn't making any new income. He or she is kind of living off of the riches that they've already made and they don't go to work every day. Right. He or she may not need a prenup because there's no new money coming in. So there's okay. not like they're trying to protect it. Also, a ton of people call me wealthy parents and they say, my mm-hmm. daughter's getting married. I give her a ton of money and trust. I don't want this guy taking advantage of her. Well, remember, that's probably going to be inheritance and therefore separate property. So she may not need a prenup.
0: Is that a 50 state
1: rule? that inheritance? I believe so, but I'm not positive. Also keep in mind. So it's inheritance, but if you're living off of the inheritance, if you get a check every month for $25,000, he can't take the $25,000, but he can say, I need spousal support because that's what we were living off.
0: Right. And can that be included as part of your income? Like when yes. You fu- okay. That is, yes. Yeah. Okay. So that that's something you
1: definitely want to address. So it's not just that I say to those trust funders, like, oh, you don't need one. I yeah. want to get a little deeper in and figure out what's happening with the money.
0: Okay. So this next question was a listener question. But how do you ask for a prenup and not make it awkward?
1: Am I explaining it to somebody who's about to explain to their fiance that they need one? Yes. Okay. okay, Then Because that happens a lot, mostly with guys. Guys are like, okay, thank you so much for this, Laura, but how do I tell her? Yeah. I think you do it earlier the better. If you've already been through a divorce, often your fiance will understand because he or she is going to be like, I get it. You had a miserable divorce. I never want us to have that. And I think you basically say, a lot of times I'll have people blame it on their business managers or their entertainment lawyers (laughs) or whatever, but I think you say like, look, we're, we're getting into this together and I love you so much, but there is a disparity in our socioeconomic situation and I'm not comfortable doing the absolutely vanilla California family law viewpoint or or whatever state you live in. I'd like to carve some things out of that that makes me feel more comfortable. The other thing to know is if you're the moneyed party, Mm
0: -hmm. you
1: may be going like, I don't need to get married. I love shacking up with you and I'm fine with that. And if it's important to you and that's security and the ring and the wedding, here's what's important to me, which is that I'm not at risk of getting completely screwed if we split up. I've worked really hard for all this time to become Joe producer or Joe actor or whatever it is. And I don't necessarily feel like you should be entitled to half of everything going forward. It doesn't really work for me.
0: Because a lot of people take offense and think it's like, oh, you're already writing the conditions for our divorce, and it's a- but it's unreal- really not. It's the conditions
1: for our marriage, and so I think. And, and look, I I know so many people whose prenuptial agreements I've done, and is it fun, like negotiating them? <laughs> no, but they've stayed together, and I think yeah. one of the reasons they've stayed together is it really is a great communication tool and an eye opener and a an expectation creator. You can create more realistic expectations, and it's not like one person's getting screwed. Another one of the checklist things, in addition to having an attorney and the time period and disclosure, is also it can't be unconscionable. You can't have something where if you're married for 20 years, your ex-wife is going to be living in a refrigerator box under a bridge. That won't be upheld either. So it has to be relatively fair and comport with the lifestyle and stuff like that. So it's not okay. completely one-sided all the time, but it, will it protect one party or the other? Yes. And another thing that we also will put in them is some death benefits. So if you mm. do have somebody that's getting married to somebody much older than them, you can always change your will. You know, you hear these stories about guys leaving their entire estate to their Filipina you know, caregiver <laughs> and the wife's like, what happened? Yes. Well, you can change your will anytime, but you can't change your prenup. So sometimes in a prenup- So that would override the will. Yes, the younger wife will say, I want, to, I want you to agree to give me at least this. And even wow. if you change your estate plan later on, I'm for sure getting at least this. Okay. This house we live in or whatever it is. So that's wow. another thing that's an important. And sometimes people really are very happy to have that because they wouldn't get that otherwise or they wouldn't have that protection or security
0: otherwise. Yeah. And if there are kids, like let's say it's two people that already have kids and are getting married, can they be in the prenup if they exist already? No.
1: No, I mean, we've okay. mentioned that they exist and they would yeah. be in the estate plan, but okay. that's another thing that new young spouse might go, look, I know you have your kids. I know you're leaving a lot of your money to your kids. I don't want to have an argument with them at any point. Carve out 5 million for me if you die or let me live in this house we own together.
0: Okay. So we're talking about someone who's a little older maybe, but on that note, tell me a little bit about sunset clauses. Cause I do not know what th- those are.
1: Sunset clauses are things that other people, not my firm, will put into an agreement (laughs) that says after 10 years, this goes away. We don't do a sunset clause. I mean, I think because sometimes people get married and they look, look, if I can make this work for 10 years, I don't need a prenup anymore. Okay. Another thing that could cause a prenuptial agreement to not be enforceable is if it's promotive of divorce. Okay. So if there's something in the agreement that would make one party or the other want to get divorced. now. If you're a wealthy woman and you marry a guy and there's a five-year sunset clause that says in five years, this agreement goes away and things aren't going so well at four and a half years, aren't you going to be like, I think I'm out because I don't want to have to do at the sunset clause? Okay. So that is promotive of divorce and that's why we don't include them. Other lawyers do. I think it's a risk and I don't want to do anything that's risky. Sometimes people will put in there like at the birth of our first child, we'll do this. I don't think that's promotive of divorce, so it's okay, but- You know, I just feel like having something in there that says, if this, then this can be promotive. And that's why we won't do them.
0: And if you're feeling each other one night and it's getting hot and heavy and whatever and the person's like, fuck the prenup, let's rip it up, I don't want to deal with it, is is that legit?
1: No, because the prenup will always say – if we're going to uh, if we're going to amend or terminate or change this agreement it must be done in writing so okay. you could say fuck the prenup and tear it up but then somebody would also have to have like yeah. a typewriter next to them <laughs> to start writing up the thing that you both signed saying we're done okay. with the prenup ripping it up is a lovely gesture but it isn't going to get it done
0: <laughs> okay so if your partner presents you with a prenup what are some things that you should look out for, like, to protect yourself? Like, what are some things that are sneaky things people sneak in there to, like, try to screw the other person?
1: Oh, gosh. That would really depend. I mean, just it, I think it would depend a lot on what somebody's earning. For example, I have a company. It's a startup. I work at the company, and it's my separate property. If I put in the agreement that any money that I earn from that company and any increased value in that company is mine... I would imagine that my spouse would go like, so wait a minute, all of your community efforts, every day you get your little briefcase and you go to work and you're working, but you're not working for us. You're just working for you. I don't right. think I'm down with that. So you have to think about that kind of stuff too. I mean, okay, I can't give you all the loopholes because yeah, truthfully, yeah, yeah. I don't actually, we try to do things very transparently right. so that everybody understands. I always find like if there's something that's complicated, that's going to be the thing that's going to hold it up. And I have had lots of clients, especially lately say to me like." Why did I even bother getting a prenup? I just spent $2 million trying to make sure everybody knew it was enforceable. So for us, it's really important to do very clear prenups that everyone understands with enough disclosure, with both parties having lawyers, because otherwise it can be a real problem if you're having to argue to defend your prenup. The whole point of having one is so that it makes things easier later on.
0: Right. So have you heard that the new prenup is an NDA? Have you heard these rumors? (laughs) No, I haven't heard that. I mean, most
1: of our prenups have a confidentiality section in them so that then it says you can't, you know, disparage the other person or whatever. You know, NDAs have always, and again, there's so many NDAs in Southern California. Everybody has one for everybody that works in their home and whatever. As an attorney- Everything that I talk about with my client is privileged, so I don't really have to worry about an NDA because it's already NDA is right there. Right, I, I think people throw NDAs around a little bit too often given the, the fact that, that we have a little thing called the First Amendment. Yes. <laughs> but I think that if you're rich and powerful and somebody hands you an NDA and you're about to start working as their nanny or cleaning their house or driving them, you're going to sign it because you want the gig. So, right, um, but in terms of dating, like dating somebody. I mean, I've had clients, you know, that I've represented for years and years that they're like, can you give me a release and an NDA that I can keep in my bedside table? Not just the NDA, but the release too. So if I give her a disease or whatever, she can't Holy, sue me.
0: Where and do I'm you like, stand on that? Tell me. Do like, you- dude, it's
1: not going to be enforceable. <laughs> I'm not doing it for you. They're like, just oh give me one God. that I can use for this person and I'll copy it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Oh,
0: but. So like, if okay. If you had a daughter, would you be like, that is a red flag? Like, do not do that. Like, you're yes. not sign that?
1: Yeah. Thank God I don't have a daughter. But yeah.
0: <laughs> when I was
1: pregnant, I have two boys. And when I was yeah. pregnant, somebody said to me, oh, good, you're having boys. Because when you have a boy, you only have to worry about one penis. When you have a girl, you have to worry about all the penises.
0: <laughs> it's true. But that one penis can be a headache. That is true. And they are. <laughs> So as you know, people get married for all kinds of good or bad reasons. You know, like when you see two people rush down the aisle or they get married really early, you and your friends might turn to each other and say, you know, why did they rush? And oftentimes you're met with the answers of, oh, they wanted to have a kid early or tax purposes or citizenship or whatever. But what are some of the best and worst reasons you've seen to get married versus just live together?
1: That's a hard one to answer because I think people have very personal reasons. I mean, look, if you have two people are in love and there's some immigration issues, that's a good reason to get married. I think a lot of people feel it's very important to get married before having children. Obviously, that was not a big one for me. Right.
0: So there are those arbitrary reasons that people say they're getting married. But what are the actual benefits? There's, in this country, there's still
1: some tax benefits to getting married. I don't think in like, I don't think they're huge. I think people really want to, I think we are raised in a culture, especially young women. Mm -hmm. Like we're raised to know that like you should have a boyfriend, you should, you know, date, then you should get engaged then you should get married, then you should have kids. So that rushing is like, it's like a checklist of accomplishments to show your value in society. I'm hoping that's changing a little bit. I don't know why people rush to get married. And again, there is that also like expectation of a fantastic, I mean, leading up to your wedding is the best, that anticipation. Then you have your honeymoon and then life starts. And so I don't know why people are so rushed. I don't know what the reasons are. I think a lot of people want to kind of lock down. That's a very important goal for a lot of people. And like I said, I don't get it.
0: Yeah. So they think it signifies that they're grown ups.
1: Yeah. Okay. So yeah. this is something
0: I know nothing about, but let's talk about post-nups. It's a concept I just do not understand. Like, does it come about like someone's like five years later, like, oh, shit, I started making money. Let's why don't we do a prenup? Yeah.
1: But but imagine having that conversation. Like now I'm making money and you don't look as good (laughs) to me anymore. So let's do this. I mean, I have a lot of people come in if they've been having issues, if one party had maybe some infidelity problems. They're harder to negotiate because you can't say, well, I guess we won't get married. I guess you could say, well, oh, we'll get divorced if we don't do a postnup. But again, that's really not a good reason. Like there, I have seen postnups that have been, you know, negotiated and executed. And then like a month later, the people break up. And that could be a reason for not having the postnup be valid because they were just divorce planning. So sometimes there'll be something that happens, an event. If somebody inherits a great deal of money, or if somebody, you know, some they sell a company, it makes big. There's sometimes that that makes sense to do it. Sometimes it really is like what I said before. They just didn't have time to do it before the marriage, but in good faith, they both wanted to kind of carve out some of the stuff. We don't do as many because, like I said, they're a little bit more difficult to negotiate.
0: But yeah, I can understand taking offense in that <laughs> circumstance. <Yeah. laughs> like I'd be like, "Fuck you! What are you talking yeah. about? We're already in this." I mean, I guess if it's happening like a couple months like after and you just like genuinely forgot to do it, but prenups are amendable, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, rather than having a sunset provision or ripping it up, you can say, you know what? We've been married for 10 years and although I'm not going to do away with the prenup, I'd like to give you... 50% 50% of my ownership of this house that we live in. And that's totally cool. Okay. You do that. That's called a transmutation. And you don't even have to really amend the prenup. It's just a transmutation agreement where you can give part of what you have that would otherwise be either community property or separate property and change it.
0: Okay. So let's say you're not the spouse with all the money and you're not the breadwinner. What are the other ways that someone can protect themselves financially in a marriage?
1: Well, first of all, the way you protect yourself is you know what's going on financially in your marriage. Even if there were a prenup and you weren't entitled to any of it, whoever is living in that, in the household or in the lifestyle, you should know. And you should say to your spouse, even if you're not the breadwinner, and it's not an antiquated term, we use that all the time. Yeah, I want to go to the business manager with you once a, once a quarter. I want to, you know, four times mm-hmm. a year. I want to see our financial things. I'm a partner with you. I live in this house. Even if I'm just the person that's making the reservations and planning the parties and, you know, doing the school conferences yeah. and shopping and looking beautiful, I'm still part of this relationship. And it's right. 2021, and I want to know. Yes. And again, yes. I have plenty of powerful, sophisticated, educated women that come to me, and they say, like you said, I don't even have a credit card in my own name; it's just yeah. in his name. And I like, have I don't no know idea how much
0: our house costs, yeah. Or, yeah,
1: I have no idea what we earn. I have no idea what we spend. I don't know what we owe. And look at all the people that you've seen, even in the last few years, that all of a sudden realized they had no money, and their husband was driving a Bentley and flying private, whatever. If you're in a relationship, you should know that. Even if it's not Mm -hmm. your money, you should be able to know that. And I think that's another really important conversation to have. I think a lot of times as women, we kind of abdicate that financial responsibility, mm-hmm. and I don't think that that is a good idea. And what I say to those women is you will never be in this situation again. You will yes, never be you will learn. where you are right now. You will learn. <laughs> yeah. And even if you hire a money manager or something, fine, but then they're beholden to you and they're providing you with financial statements and you need to know. And I think that's really important, particularly for young people getting married. Yeah. Just because you make the money doesn't mean you have all the control. If you're in a marriage and or, or a relationship where you're living with somebody, you should be able to share information about finances. And if your partner isn't doing that, that's a red flag.
0: So what do you think about women hiding money? Because if you hide money, you have to disclose it l- exactly. if you get divorced, right? Yes.
1: So yeah. I mean, again, if that makes you feel more comfortable, I guess fine. <laughs> You're going to have to split it anyway. I'm. Si- it's just a comfort level. I don't ever want anybody to be in a situation where they can't use a credit card. So having one in your name. Also, if you get divorced and you've never established any of your own credit, even though you oh lived my in God. multi-million dollar homes, yes. that's a problem. So there's really no excuse. I mean, if I, you know, as a parent, my sons will both have credit cards probably in their late teens mm-hmm. so that they start to figure out how to pay those credit cards, start establishing credit. I think that's really important. And obviously for young women as well. And just really having an understanding of finances, it doesn't, I mean, look, I don't want, I don't balance a checkbook. I have a business manager. I send my stuff to her. It's a, it's a pain in the ass. It's boring. It's not sexy at all, but you kind of have to check in every once in a while. So I did have a friend every three or four mornings when her husband was in the shower, she would run. She lived in Brentwood. She'd run down to the ATM and she'd take out $300 when he was in the shower. And he never noticed the withdrawals. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what geez. are you doing? And she's like, I just want to make sure that I have money. And he never, and I'm he, like, he never
0: yeah, noticed. he never knew. No. She, oh must, my have, God. she must have
1: a million dollars right now. This was back in like
0: 2005. Yes. <laughs> That's incredible. So she didn't have to disclose that they like didn't little get to that, they're, oh, still they, they're, <laughs> they're still married. They're still married. So and, do you and, and, want to know or, how to stay together?
1: Exactly. Or I have like friends who, when they shop, they like hide the the bags or they take the tags off quickly so that their husbands don't see it. Right. I mean, I've
0: heard of that a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Look, people have interesting relationships with money and, you know, you deal with it. But again, you need to be able to kind of deal with it. Yeah.
0: This is kind of random, but do you, just from your experience and from your knowledge about law and everything, do you have an opinion about people changing their last names?
1: No, I don't. I mean, I didn't change mine and it was interesting. My ex-husband's last name was Hernandez.
0: And when at one point we were talking while the
1: divorce was kind of processing, he was like, we should get back together. And I was like, I don't know. And he goes, and when we get back together, you will change your last name. Mm. And I was like, this was never an issue. Yeah. I think a lot of men want their wives to take their last name. I think a lot of women, like my mom and dad got divorced when I was a teenager, but she never same. changed her name back. And, okay. you know, she, and and yeah, because being Bunny Wasser or being Vicky Iovine not yeah. only was important because she wanted to have the same last name as her children. Yep. But she was married for a long time. That was a name in this community. It was important. Mm-hmm. I get that, too. I've had guys say to me, well, can I make her give my last name back? And I'm like, no, dude. She, she earned that. That's for her real, last name. Though, that, I would ask
0: that question, too. I'd be like, can I just take that back? Because that is that isn't crazy – then you have, like, 17 Mrs. Hernandez uh-huh, books, uh-huh. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's genius. So what's your like honest opinion about marriage? Like, I know we talked about this a little bit before, but like my mom is, I mean, she's on her third marriage. So she always tells me, she's like, you find your real soulmate and marriage number three. I'm (laughs) like, bitch, like I cannot have, like, I can't adopt that mentality right now. I don't think, I don't think humans were
1: meant to mate for life. Um, and so I definitely think that one or two marriages or at least committed relationships make sense. You, yeah. you change as you grow. And look, those people who meet their soulmate in high school and they stay married for, you know, 60 years. God bless. Yes. I, what I don't believe in is being in a relationship that is stagnant, that is not evolving and fluid. And if that happens, I think that's really a shame. And so for me, moving on, going separate ways, doing it in the most respectful and loving way, but really continuing on to a next chapter without that person, if they're not in the same groove that you are, that's what it's all about. And that's why I, you know, we talk about the evolution of dissolution, which is Why are we still treating divorce like it's such a taboo and miserable subject? A breakup in any situation is going to be sad. It's a heartbreaking. It's sad. It's a transition, but it doesn't have to be like, Oh my God, like a death. Because the fact is that may be what we as humans are more apt to do. And so let's make it easier for people, at least legally and financially. You're still going to have the emotional pain. Mm-hmm. But again, we have to kind of normalize it a little bit because almost every person I talk to goes, I don't know anything about divorce. And I'm like, why would you? Right. Why would you know anything about divorce? We don't talk about it. It's like cancer. It's like, yes, unless you got it's it, true. you don't want to even it's mention true. it, you know? It's
0: true. It's true. So like, this brings me kind of back to the prenup question. So a prenup kind of can create an easier divorce, right? Like, because it can kind of just set up some preliminary terms. So if you don't have money and your partner doesn't have money and you really have no other reason to get a prenup, should you get one just to make your potential divorce easier?
1: No. To, get, no. Okay. to make your potential divorce easier, you should always know, first of all, have be on very similar pages about kids and what's in their best interest. California is one of the most forward-thinking states in terms of equal custody for male and female parents. But I believe the rest of the country is kind of coming along. You know, it used to be when I was a kid, dad got the weekends and Wednesday night. Now it's much more, particularly in Southern California, where I have so many people who work from home or or work, you know, in a different way than just like a nine to five with the Mm -hmm. briefcase job hands-on dads. And so we do more equal custody. So that's the first thing. And then, you know, there's really like four tenets of your financial situation is, is what you have Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: what you owe Mm -hmm. and what you earn Mm -hmm. and what you spend. If you know those four corners, then if you are going to get divorced, and again, that's why I'm not plugging it. So easy. I'm just saying we Please have this do. platform it's that, brilliant. Gives, that gives people so much information. We want to educate people. So yes. this is what you need to know when you're married, if you're splitting up, how to negotiate it. And then the question is, if you don't have a lot of assets and if things are pretty simple, hopefully you keep them simple and you continue to grow them and you make money and you're happy and you thrive in your relationship. If you don't, you go back to what's going to be best for our kids and what do we have and what do we owe? Because we can divide that up. And what do we earn and what do we spend? Because we have to figure out how we're both going to have now two households as opposed to one and support ourselves and our kids. Okay. Easy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, it sounds easier than I bet it is, right? I'm like, <laughs> well, get another you know, person when, in there. When you're
1: going through what is a complicated legal procedure because of the forms and the language and everything else, and you're spinning because you don't know who's going to be your date for New Year's right. Eve, and is he right. going to be with somebody else, and another woman's going to be right. in bed with your children in the right. morning, schnoogling and all that,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's hard to process even the simplest yes. of information. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It can be clouding. So what's like, in your experience, what's the number one reason that people get divorced?
1: Lack of communication, yeah, for sure. Not like you, infidelity,
0: not. No, because yeah. the
1: infidelity comes as a result of the lack of communication. Very rarely are two happily married people leading their lives, and then somebody walks in and they fall madly in love. It's right. usually there's something lacking, okay. So they go to fulfill that that need from somebody else. Same thing with if you're remodeling your house or you're having financial problems. All of these things can put stress on a marriage. But if you're able to communicate, God forbid, the death of a child. But if you're able to communicate through these things and do it together, usually you'll come out the other end. So the greatest cause of divorce is a failure to communicate and a growing apart as a result of that.
0: Okay. So maybe the premarital counseling should last throughout the marriage, right? Sure. I mean, there should be
1: somebody that you're able to check in with, you know, you don't have to go every week, but somebody that you work with and somebody that you can kind of call once in a while for a check-in. And again, it may not necessarily be the same person. You know, there's all of these seminars you can go to and groups and whatever, whatever floats your boat and works for the two of you tap into that.
0: Okay. Okay. That's a perfect place for us to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Are you shocked by how little I know about all this stuff? No, or, or nobody horrifying? knows. I mean, its I'm not shocked at all. It's insane. I'm, I'm doing this so hopefully I don't have to call you. Are you <laughs> dating somebody right now? Yeah. Are yes. you getting engaged? It's probably like it's on the horizon, but not yet. Okay, okay. So I'm like, this is all on my mind. <laughs> this is all, I'm also terrified. <laughs> so what is the big difference between separation and divorce? Because there's definitely a gray area there.
1: So when you separate, and again, that is kind of not a very bright line, separating is one person saying to the other, this marriage is not fixable. And generally moving into a separate residence, although okay. we have seen people live under the same roof, particularly depending on the economic situation, but My being separated. Did, it was so yeah. weird. <laughs> it's weird and it's hard. And you have, you know, people do, do something called nesting where the kids stay in the house. and the. So you, if you're going to separate and you really, and the reason people separate, now this is different in other states, but in California, once you're separated, that community property stream stops. Okay. Meaning, so right there. Right. You separate and you go work on a movie. That movie that you worked on, that money you get as your separate property. Okay. Okay? And the same will go for a length of time you're going to pay support. In California, usually you pay support for about half the length of the marriage. Mm -hmm. So if you're married for five years, you pay support for two and a half. Once you hit 10 years, that's deemed a long-term marriage. And so support may last longer than just the five years. Is that when you get
0: alimony? That alimony is support. No, you always –
1: you get alimony after one year. If you're married for one year, you'd get it for six months. I mean, just – But again, if you're not, if there's a blurry line as to when you separated, I had, I had a client, he was a rock star and he was separated. He had moved somewhere else. He even had another girlfriend. Yeah. But for whatever reason, his ex must've given really good blowjobs because he kept going back for those (laughs) blowjobs.
0: Amazing. A few times a month.
1: And she was like, oh, we're not separated. You should have heard the stuff that he told me when his dick was in my mouth. And so we had this big argument about whether what the date
0: separation was.
1: So and So you don't need lost. to like legally
0: file for. You
1: should, but even if you legally file, if you're still going and getting blowjobs, it could oh, be her no perception ways. that now you're reconciling. So you really need to not wow. act like you are married anymore. And you and, lost, because the judge this, was yes, like. "Well, The judge was like, she had an expectation that they were working on their marriage. Because you're There's still no having transactions. Yes, and so Damn. rather than paying support for three years, he paid support for four years, because he was doing that for about a year and a half. After they'd separated, yeah. How
0: long can you stay separated?
1: Forever. Forever? I mean, I've got a ton of clients that just end up never actually getting divorced for whatever reason.
0: And they just stay separated and their finances are separate forever? Or not.
1: I mean, you know, sometimes people that have enough money are like, why would I even bother? Let's just keep it going like this.
0: Okay. So here's an interesting question. How do you feel about people dating separated people?
1: I've never understood the – I mean, I don't get that. I I mean, I don't see why that's an issue. If you're separated – I think, and again, I guess sometimes somebody will go back to their spouse, Yeah. but I feel like if they've been separated for a while, it's probably done. I mean, again, you'd want to know for sure if you don't want the guy that you're dating to all of a sudden go, guess what? I got back together with my wife,
0: but just for a blow job or two, I guess he (laughs) can
1: get back together with his wife, even if they were fully divorced or if they had never been married and they had just broken up. So the fidelity aspect, I don't know. I don't, I've never understood people saying I'm not going to date him until he's finally divorced as a divorce lawyer. I'm like, dude, that could take a really long time you know? For
0: sure. So what surprises most of your clients? Like what surprises them most about the divorce process?
1: I think a lot of them are surprised. And again, it surprises me that they're surprised. I think a lot of them are surprised about the laws. I mean, particularly mm-hmm. women that are the breadwinners, they're like, mm-hmm. what do you mean I have to pay for his health insurance? Or what do you mean I'm going to give him half of my retirement plan? I, mm. I came to you because I wanted to get this albatross off from around my <laughs> neck. And I'm like, well, now you know how the guys have felt for all these years. Yeah. I think that's a surprise. I think that the, the thought that what's good for the goose is good for the gander is a surprise. I think it's very surprising to people that whoever is the more moneyed spouse will often end up paying the other party's attorney's fees. So you're oh, like
0: Oh no way. I have to pay
1: for that bitch too. That's a big one. And and again, because in California wow. we want to have what's called a level playing field. You can't right. have somebody hire like badass Laura Wasser and then you know somebody else doesn't have an attorney or get somebody like from a Schmo. mini mall. Yeah. Right. You gotta have a level playing field, which will mean that whoever is the breadwinner is going to be kicking it to that lawyer too. And that really hurts. I'm There's shocked. no worse check track. You may not want to write a check to your ex-wife, but you for sure don't want to write a check to your ex-wife. Can you put that in the
0: prenup? I will not (laughs) pay for my spouse. No, because that would be unconscionable. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. That is crazy. (laughs) So what's your advice? Like, how often do you run into like situations where maybe one person wants to get divorced? Like, do people often come to you? Like, I'm thinking about getting divorced, but like, I haven't told my partner yet. Like, what do you do when that happens?
1: I say, let's, I'm going to give you my divorce 101 speech. I'm going to tell you kind of what it's going to look like. And then you're going to process that and think about how that applies to your situation and decide if you want to stay or go. I want, I think people, they want to get their ducks in a row. They want to know how it's going to play out with kids and money and houses. So while they're thinking about it, this gives them kind of the knowledge that the, will give them the power to make that decision. That happens okay. all the time.
0: It does. And what yeah. if one person wants a divorce and the other person doesn't? It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a mutual decision, no, right? No,
1: you. you if you you you're getting divorced, you're getting divorced and, divorce, and yeah. eventually it'll just happen. Yeah.
0: Okay. Do you ever like run into situations where you're like, I think that you should give this like another shot? Like, do you ever like? Absolutely. Oh, you do. You oh, do yeah. So. If there's like too much, you know, I, I mean, if I've,
1: I don't always meet the other party, but a lot of times if we have a settlement conference, we'll all be in the same room and whatever. Or I'll hear how my client is talking about his or her ex. And sometimes I'll say, do you think maybe it would make sense for you to, you know, maybe take a little bit break and go back? Or also I do a lot of mediation now. So I actually have an opportunity to see both of them. And there was one even a few weeks ago where I said, you guys, you shouldn't be getting divorced. Go work this shit out. Come back to me. I'm not going anywhere, but I just feel like there's too much love here. This is an issue that can be overcome.
0: Wow. So how do you know if a marriage is irreparable? I don't. Yeah. It was, they, this they was a to. really weird
1: situation where I just kind of was like, this is not, you know, I mean, I don't think you ever know when I, I wrote a book and one of the chapters was how do you know? Cause everyone was always like, how do you know? And I'm like, yeah. I guess you know when the bad starts outweighing the good, that's when you know.
0: Right. That That's hard. That's, it is like, hard. Yeah. Cause like you can be feeling like shit for so many years and not know when to like pull the trigger. You don't know if it's you or the marriage or yes, whatever. Yes. You probably turn into like a total therapist with your clients.
1: I Sometimes, but I try not to because I do say to them like at my hourly rate and being like kind of the hot mess that I am, (laughs) I'm not qualified to give you really good therapeutic advice. Like for so much less money, you could get a really good therapist. I can only tell you my experience.
0: Yeah. So what's one of the main ways that people get screwed over in a divorce? I think not paying attention. I see a lot
1: of people particularly in Hollywood that like want their assistants to do it and I really insist that people kind of be a part of the process and really learn about it. Uh, you know, I, people have come to me and said I went through this whole divorce and I guess I just wasn't paying enough attention and I'm really not happy with the terms or whatever. Okay. I think a, another thing that can happen is people get too emotionally involved instead of mm. and, which is obviously you can see that's easy. happen. You have to really treat it like a business transaction. This is a business transaction. And there's a lot of emotional shit that goes along with it that yes, you have to deal with, but not as part of whatever this divorce settlement is going to be. And I think people spend so much money and and energy fighting about things that they really should not be fighting about, especially wealthy people. I have so many wealthy clients and I'm like, what are you doing? You will never, ever miss this money. Like get right. done and move on. I think people get really caught up in it. So take the emotion out of it to the extent you can. Pay attention and educate yourself about it to the extent you can. And then also move through it. These people whose divorces are kind of like going on for years and years and years. I have ADD, so I have no patience. So I'm like, let's move on. <laughs>
0: yes, I want it's a new over. case.
1: I'm done with you. But um, I feel like, you know, they do, they kind of linger and they, and they, they just, you need to get it done.
0: Right. Something that I've heard you say, and I don't know if you've learned it somewhere else, but I love when you say that like in a fight, if one of us wins, we both lose. Yeah.
1: And there's no real winners in divorce. I right. mean, really, you're dividing up a pot, even if there's a high stakes. I mean, yes, people can win things. What I love when I read these articles online, this person got a big win. This person got a big win. There's no win. You know does how much money- Does that drive you
0: crazy that it's like all in TMZ, like your cases? Yeah, yeah. it does. Me I mean, that's
1: why I try to take a lot of things out of the system so that they're not on TMZ. Oh, but smart. sometimes people, I guess- other lawyers or clients like that kind of attention. I To me, it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, that would be crazy. So I am a child of divorce. I am friends with many children of divorce. And it can be really scary to like want to rush into marriage when you've seen, when you maybe haven't had a model for a successful marriage. Like what do you say to those people that are afraid? Like why are we so afraid of marriage?
1: Because we're afraid of failure. Because the way that we have been taught is – that when you get married, you've succeeded. When you have Mm -hmm. children, you've succeeded. If you don't get married, if you don't have children, or if you don't get divorced, you are a failure, particularly as a woman. To me, that is just so mind boggling. I think it's changing. I read things all the time. I'm a woman. I decided not to have kids. I'm a woman. I decided not to get married. I'm a woman. I got divorced and I'm so happy. I loved my husband. I loved our relationship, but I don't need to be married. It's not what defines me. And I think that that Fear of failure. I mean, yes, a breakup is sad. Don't get me wrong. But the fear of a failure is what keeps us in a relationship longer than we should be in one. The fear of being alone, the fear of the unknown. Grow a pair. I mean, yeah. let's get out there. Yes. And I think that, you know, there's not so much in the world to be afraid of.
0: Yeah, I love that. Because it's true. We are afraid of failure a lot of the time. And like, that's how we. Judge divorce. Like we just think that it's a blemish on our story. It's not. It's really just a transition
1: to the next chapter.
0: I know you deal with like a lot of high profile, very wealthy clients. How does a divorce differ when people don't have money? Are the issues different? Are they kind of the same? No.
1: It's, you know, more money, more problems. I mean, it's the, it's simpler when there's less. That's yeah. why we created It's Over Easy because we really wanted people to be able to apply the law to their fact situation, work it out on their own, and submit the forms. You know, sometimes it can be worse because if you really have no money, like I do a lot of work with the Harriet Buhi Center for Family Law and the Los Angeles Center for Law and Justice providing access to justice, access to the legal Mm -hmm. system for people that don't speak English as their first language, maybe don't have the same academic past that you and I have can be very scary and throw domestic violence into the mix or having to live in your car because you lost your apartment. So it can sometimes be even more difficult, but for the most part, the law in the state is not super complex. And if you have less money, it can be even less complex, just simple to divide it up.
0: So domestic violence is interesting because I know we were talking earlier about, like, how you can't say if this person cheats, then they don't get money or whatever. How does domestic violence play into your job? What are the laws surrounding that?
1: So for the first, I'd say, 20 years of my practice, I don't think I ever had a domestic violence case at the firm. There were a couple that I had when I did my pro bono stuff. But this just didn't happen. What has become very, very common in family law is – everybody's claiming domestic violence. If you get a restraining order against your partner, it's embarrassing for him or her. He or she has to give up their guns. They can't come within a certain thing of you. If that's a person that's a celebrity, it gets publicized. And there's a total blemish on their record. Also, if you have been the victim of domestic violence, you may get more spousal support Mm.
0: just under the law
1: because you could be so terrorized that you couldn't possibly make your way back into the workplace. Okay, okay. Um, And so we are seeing a lot of domestic violence. I'm not saying that people that claim to be victims of domestic violence are lying. I am saying that I am seeing a lot of my colleagues using domestic violence as a walk in the door tool that they ask their clients about right off the bat. And I think it's offensive because I think that there are people that really are suffering at the hands of domestic violence and they're not getting the court time, they're not getting the relief they need because they've got some people in there that are talking about domestic violence that may or may not have actually happened. And that offends me.
0: Aside from putting a blemish on their character and whatever, are there other, can you get more money if you claim that there's domestic violence? Not
1: under, you you don't get more of the property, particularly if, you know, but you could get longer spousal support because the thought is you can't get back into the workforce because you've been, you know, you have this... Trauma in your life that so that's really the only thing. But again, it's a, it, it's a criminal thing. It gets filed with yeah. LAPD, and if you and you're not supposed to usually go within a hundred yards of someone. So if you're at a Oscar party or a restaurant and she's there, I mean, it's a total pain in the ass. It's one of those things that should only be used in very extreme circumstances, and people are just filing them all over the place now.
0: Is that do you think that any of it's attributable to the fact that we have like cameras on our phones and like are are those admissible in court like? You can
1: only admit either recordings, visual or audio, if the person knows they're being recorded. So if you say, like, I'm recording you right now, you know, you know or if you leave a message on an answering machine, my, I don't have an expectation of privacy. I'm leaving a message on right. the voicemail. But if somebody's recording a conversation and you haven't been told, then no, it's not admissible evidence.
0: Wow. Wow. So how do you calculate how long someone will pay spousal support? What like goes into that? How long they've been married?
1: Yeah, that's part of it. And then there's a whole list of, are they able to work? What, how old are they? Like, if you've been married for, you know, 40 years, you're not going to all of a sudden go back and work at the Lancome counter at sex. Right. You're probably going to get spousal support. Right. But uh, there's a whole list of things that go into it. What their, you know, school and professional, like some people worked until a certain point and then they had kids and they stopped working. Okay. Are they able to get back into the workplace? Do we make it incumbent upon them to, to, be self-supporting after a certain period of time, mm-hmm. a whole list of things. What's their health? What's their age? What's their education? Wh- how old are your kids? If you've got two kids under three, maybe you're not going back to work so soon because it costs you more money to get childcare than it does to be out there. You know, right. that, It's that kind of stuff.
0: So it, you know, a lot of people say like, okay, we're going to stay together for the kids or we're going to try to make it to 20 years or whatever. Aside from, obviously, the emotional trauma that your kids would potentially go through, that you're afraid that your kids would go through, is there a reason to stay together longer? Like, is there something that they get out of – you know, like, is there any benefit well, to that? I
1: mean, look, there's plenty of women who call me up and say, I know my husband's cheating on me, but I really love this lifestyle. And when I caught him last time, he bought me a new car or a new piece of jewelry oh, or whatever. Jesus. And but here's the thing, Jade, you can't judge. That's their yeah. life. If that's what they want to do, fine. you and I wouldn't do it, but that's yeah, their life. True. And maybe they're not so, you know, thrilled about the idea of climbing in a bed with their husband anyway. So let them go right. be with someone else. I mean, it hurts a little, it's embarrassing. But look at Europeans, they're all having mistresses, and that's never been an issue. From where I sit, you have to not judge. You have right. to be able to say this is what this person has chosen and I respect them on their journey. I will say this though. I don't think that kids are as traumatized by divorce as everybody thinks they are, especially if the parents you. handle it well. I mean, if, if the parents say to the kids, we love you. We're always going to be a family. We're always, but we're just not going to live under the same roof anymore. And whatever the parents are going through, they go through it separate from the kids. I think kids are better off seeing. Happy, healthy parents, even if they're alone, than two parents together who are miserable.
0: Right, because the trauma really happens when you involve the kids, yes. like when you bring them to custody court, and you, yes. you know, and like- we're,
1: we're better about that too in California than we've ever been. Now we're getting better.
0: Interesting. So you get a lot of questions about like how do I break it to my kids? Like how do I, you know, like
1: Yeah, I usually will send them to some kind of a therapist or a child therapist to give them that. My advice is kind of the same advice that I my parents did with me, which is like, look, we love you. We're not it doesn't work for us anymore, but we're always a family. And until my mom died a year and a half ago, even though they were both married to other people, the four of us, my mom, my dad and my brother, myself we would still have family meetings. We would once yeah. in a while still have family dinners. We would get on the phone together. And that was really important because that was my core family until I was 16 years old. And right. my parents both made it really clear the respect they had for each other and for our family unit.
0: Wow. That's super rare. And so
1: I was fine. I mean, I was 16. I was like- I was 16 too. I was like, I know. I remember. I was, and I told your <laughs> dad, I was
0: like, she's gonna, she doesn't care about you. She's like trying to figure out whether to lose her virginity. Leave her alone. Exactly. <laughs> It's so true. So like you tell your clients, like it's less about the age of your children and more about how you handle the divorce. Totally.
1: And I think, look, when your children are really young, they don't know any different. My kids were each two when I split up with each of their dads. It must just be like my sell-by date or something like that. And (laughs) they don't know anything different. I think kids when they're in elementary school, probably from about first to like sixth grade have a hard time with it. They have anxiety about, are their parents going to split up? I've, I've watched that happen. Yeah, And then I think After that, like we said, you're kind of self-absorbed in hormones and teenageness and how to figure out a way to sneak a vape or whatever.
0: You don't care that much about your parents. Yeah. You're more worried about like what you can get away with at either house. Yeah. Do you deal with a lot of custody issues?
1: Oh, yeah. The ones that are really tough, usually, like I said, we're better in Southern California now than we've ever been about kind of shared custody. But what is hard is if one parent's moving. Because you can't just do oh. week on week off if somebody's living in New York.
0: Are you allowed to move?
1: No, only with a court order. But I, those are the cases I've had where one parent says, "I have to move for my job or my new husband or whatever," and I want to take the kids. And Dad's like, "What are you talking about? The kids are here. Their school is here. Pe-. So it's, it's an uphill battle, but I mean, and it's just it's soul crushing because it really yes. does that does change the family dynamic because you're not seeing your both of your parents on a frequent and continuous basis, and that's tough.
0: So what's your advice to parents that are splitting up and like kind of like hate each other right now? What advice do you give?
1: Suck it up. Don't do it in front (laughs) of your kids. I will never forget one of the worst things I ever heard ever. And it stuck with me. I had a male client and he said, listen to this. And he played, it was in the days where you still had the answering machine. So he played a message on the answering machine and it was his wife. And she's like, you fucking piece of shit. Everybody hates you. Everybody's known for you. Just on and on and on and on. Everybody hates you. Long thing. And then before she slams down the phone, you hear, I don't hate you, daddy. She said all this in front of the kid and the kid even felt like he took it upon himself to like oh. just get in there before. I mean, oh my who God. does that's, that yeah, to a that's child? that's horrific.
0: That's horrific.
1: So basically, I, you, I think you have to, you know, everybody says, everybody that comes to my office that has kids says, my most important priority is my kids. If that's true, be kind. Yeah. Be cool. Be kind to your kids. Try to also be kind to your spouse or to your ex because the thing is at some point you must have loved this person enough to get them pregnant or get pregnant with them and have a baby with them. And your kids are half you and half that other person. So when you're shit talking the their other parent- they take that to heart because they're like, well, that's my DNA too. Yes.
0: I say that all the time. It's like you feel like they hate half of you. Yes. Yes. So you
1: really need to make sure that you uh, can rise above it for your children. I think, you know, my dad used to say like, fake it till you make it. If you are faking it enough, if you have a good outlet to go do like kickboxing or running or scream therapy or whatever it is, when you are around your children and your co-parent, you need to be able to pull it together.
0: Okay. Well, we are done. This was like, I feel like I got a full education out of you. I'm like so happy. You're the greatest for doing this with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So where can everyone find you? What's your Instagram handle, your podcast? It's over easy.
1: My Instagram handle is Laura Wasser official and edits over easy. We've got two. I encourage anybody that is curious about divorce, thinking about getting married. It's overeasy. You can go on. We have tons of information. You don't have to be getting divorced until you actually are like, getting divorced. We don't make you pay anything, but there's an index that has all kinds of information for help with childcare and health insurance and budgeting. It's just a great website. It's Overeasy.com.. Yeah. <laughs> It's not going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I really do believe the more that you know, the better equipped you are to be in healthy relationships. And um, thank you for having me.
0: Jesus, every time I listen back to this conversation, I swear I just love her more and I learn something new every time I listen. So hopefully you guys got as much out of this episode as I did. Let's continue the conversation. Please text me or leave me a voicemail whenever. I love texting with you guys about anything and everything. Nothing is off limits and everything is our little secret, I promise. The number is 415-849-0299. It's also in my Instagram bio and in the show notes of this episode, so call me also please 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 rate and subscribe to this podcast because damn does that stuff make a huge difference so I would really appreciate it thank you guys for hanging with me as always and I'll see you guys back next week